0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three, and One, who has baptized us and made us His church. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ. As I mentioned before, we are doing a sermon series throughout the season of Easter here. And the sermon series is on um, uh, this thing that comes from Martin Luther, uh, our founder guy. and, um, uh, And Martin Luther wrote in... This one sort of uh, publication that he had called On Councils and the Church, he wrote this thing that is uh, the third part of that publication. And the third part of that publication is all about what it means to be the church. And that was a specific problem for Luther to address at the time, because before that, uh, the church was simply, well, it was the Roman Catholic Church. There was no question. As to what the church was. But here, in about 1535, Martin Luther is saying, well, we need to kind of define this. Because the Roman Catholic Church was saying, well, you Lutherans, well, you're not really church. Because you're following this heretic named Martin Luther. And so Martin Luther went, well, okay, that's an interesting point of view. Let's take a look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about this. And so what he did was he went through and he came up out of looking at the church. He came up with about seven different marks of the church. And those seven different marks of the church were things that he said, look, if we're going to take the Bible's word for things, we need to. Take a look and define the church according to these seven marks rather than defining the church according to, well, who's pope and who's a bishop and who's a monsignor and all of that good stuff. And so he came up with seven marks of the church. We started this off last time and we started it backwards. Because we started with the possession of the Holy Cross, which is the last mark of the church in Luther's list. Luther's list goes, um, uh, let's see if I can do this, it's seven. Luther's list goes the word. And then the one that we're talking about today, the baptized people. The sacrament of the altar. Confession and absolution. Public praise and worship pastors and finally the possession of the holy cross and he says if you have those seven things and the possession of the holy cross is basically about the church suffering on behalf of other people and suffering as christ suffered for the world he says if you find a grouping of people that have those seven things that is what the church is according to the bible And it's this second one that we're going to be talking about today, the baptized people, that was a little bit kind of earth shattering for a lot of the people in Luther's world at the time, because for a lot of them, they thought of the church as an institution. They thought of the church as a building, or they thought of the church as an organizational structure, or they thought of the church as a whole slew of other things, but not necessarily simply a gathering of baptized believers together. And Martin Luther said, well, that's silly, because you don't have priests and monks and bishops and popes. Just for their own sake. You have them because you have you people. You have baptized people that are coming together and are forming that church. In fact, that's what you see in our reading from Acts, is this kind of explosion of the church. So, where we jump into this reading from Acts is Peter's sermon on Pentecost Sunday. And Peter, has gotten up at about nine in the morning and all of these people are speaking all sorts of different languages and people are taking notice of this. And so Peter says, well, I'm going to preach a sermon. And so he starts preaching the sermon and this sermon, the reading says, cuts people to the heart. And all of a sudden they go, well, what do we do about this? Because we're cut to the heart. We want to repent. We want to somehow solve this problem that you're putting before us. And the problem is that we have crucified Jesus. That our mistakes, our sins have led Jesus to be crucified, to die on the cross. And Peter says, this is how that problem gets solved. Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 people repent and are baptized. That was a pretty good sermon. (laughs) But the thing to recognize in the midst of that is not how good Peter's sermon was, but the thing to recognize is that that is what makes the church. That's how God is starting his church. He's saying, All right, I'm going to use my Holy Spirit to talk through Peter, but it's not going to be just about Peter. It's going to be about these three thousand people. Because you see, God is creating the church as a movement Of people, not as individual leaders, but as a group of people together. In fact, when Luther is looking at this reality, he actually bemoans the fact that the Apostles' Creed, which he oddly calls the children's creed, that the Apostles' Creed Creed uses the word church. Luther doesn't like the fact that they use the word church because to Luther, that word in his day has all of this baggage associated with it. It has all of this baggage of people in fancy clothes, in big hats, in all sorts of weird, hierarchical, institutional, organizational levels. He says, I don't like that word. Because if you look back through... The scriptures into the Old Testament that the basically dynamic equivalent of what that word church means is simply that it means God's people. And he said, I would much rather the creed say that I believe in a holy Christian people than a holy Christian church. He goes on to say that What he means by a holy Christian people is a crowd. It's a multiplicity. But so often, we, in a variety of different ways, try to push ourselves out of that multiplicity. We try to push ourselves out so that we can be distinct and individual. And maybe that's a little bit of what's happening on the road to Emmaus as those two disciples of Jesus are walking from Jerusalem to their hometown. Those two disciples, we know one of them is named Cleopas. We don't know what the other one's name is. We don't even know the gender of the other one. It could have been Cleopas's wife. It could have been his best friend. It could have been somebody who was just another disciple. But we know that they're walking away from Jerusalem. We know that their hearts are downcast within them. And the fact that they're walking away from Jerusalem, I think, is something to not overlook. They're walking away from the place where the apostles and the original disciples are gathered. And they're walking away defeated. It kind of seems like they were a part of this really awesome motorcycle gang They were following this Jewish rabbi. Everything was awesome. They were maybe a part of the 72 that Jesus sent out. And he said, go into the cities and the villages and the towns. Go and preach my word. Go and cast out demons. Go and heal the sick. And they were able to do that. And they were doing that as a group. And then it led up to this point where they saw Jesus crucified and die on a cross. And they went, oh. I, I guess our, our motorcycle gang is done. I guess this multiplicity that we had is gone because, well, it looks like Jesus is gone. And so they're walking back. And they're disheartened. Their hopes have been dashed. And they've become individuals again. Sometimes that's kind of how it feels for us, I think, in the church. Where when we get together, when we get together in this place, or or maybe when we get together and we, we get to do something else, we feel like there is nothing that we cannot do. We go, look at all of these people that we've got with us. What could we do together as a group? But then we leave this place and we scatter like those Emmaus disciples, and all of a sudden we begin to feel weak. We begin to feel like, what can I do? I'm just one person, or we're just two people. And that's where Jesus meets us. Just like he met those Emmaus disciples. Jesus meets us, and he says, Look, recognize me. In the midst of all of this. And I think it's telling where he finally gets them to recognize him. He finally gets them to recognize him. He's walking along and and you're like, really, Cleopas and Disciple X... Do you have cataracts? What's going on? Why do you not recognize who Jesus is? And then he gets into teaching them, and, and he's teaching them all of this stuff about who the Messiah is, and they still don't get it, and you're like, come on! It's Jesus! But finally, the point at which they recognize who Jesus is, if you catch this in the Gospel reading, is the point at which he is breaking bread with them. And you start thinking back, why would that be the thing that gets them to recognize who Jesus is? And it must have been something distinct about how Jesus broke bread. Because if they were his disciples, they would have seen him do this time and time And time again, and especially they would have seen him at big miracles like the feeding of the 5,000 where he thanks God and he breaks bread. And just not that long ago when they're in the upper room and he is celebrating the Passover with them and he breaks bread. And that Passover meal becomes our Lord's Supper. The moment in time where I think we, as baptized Christians, come together. I mean, we call it communion, right? I think the reason that they recognize him is that as Baptized Christians, when we approach that meal, we have this sense of our togetherness that is a part of our baptisms. But that is the moment where we are most church. Because that is the moment at which we are most together, least apart. And so as we look at what it means for us to be Christians together... It means that we're a unit. It means that we're a multiplicity. It means that we're a crowd. It means that we are a holy Christian people. It means that we are gathered together at this altar, not for the sake of just leaving here two by two and one by one, but that we are gathered together so that we can be gathered together and move as a unit in each of our individual lives. That's the entire story of Acts. In fact, if you look at the next thing that happens in the book of Acts after this happens, after these 3,000 people have just converted and been baptized, what do they start doing together? They start doing life together. Not because they were all the same people. If you look just before this, you see that these are all kinds of different people from all kinds of different places, all kinds of different, even languages. And yet, when they get baptized, they go, we have to do something together. We have to engage the Scriptures together. We have to break bread together. That's what it means for us to be University Lutheran. That what God has done in this place is that he has called, gathered, and enlightened all of us together in this place so that we can be a team. So that we can be a team of people that work perhaps in each our own individual vocations, but that we're all working together for a purpose. And that purpose is to make Jesus known. And we know that that's working inside of us when we feel this tug. Just like those disciples going to a maze felt this tug. Jesus disappeared and all of a sudden they were like, Hey, let's go back to church. Let's go tell the other people what we saw. And it's like God healed that problem of their feeling hopeless, of their feeling isolated, of their feeling anonymous, alone. And he said, I have given you a church. I have given you a located bunch of people so that you can share the forgiveness of sins, so that you can share my meal, so that you can share in this great mission that he has given to all of us. So may this week, may you go out with a sense of being on a team, on our team here at University Lutheran, and may that continue to rattle around in your head, and may you continue to think about what it means for us to be on a team together. And then when it comes around a Saturday night, may you feel that tug, that same tug that the Emmaus disciples felt when Jesus had disappeared from the room. May you feel that tug to come back here to church. Amen. Amen.